Lindsay and I have this ongoing debate in our marriage, and uh, I know what you're thinking. Uh, probably don't want to get up and air all of your dirty laundry before the congregation. Don't worry, I asked her permission uh, to talk about this. And it's not really a big deal, uh, but it's just kind of one of those little nitpicky things. Um, and it has to do with taste testing. Uh, if I get some new drink, some, some flavor of drink or something that I think is really incredible, I'm like, here, try this. And she'll do like, like just this little tiny sip. And I'm like, how can you taste it when it, like all I did was like touch your lips. She's like, that's all I need. And I'm going like, what? Like, I need a whole mouthful so I can swallow it all down and really enjoy it and be like, oh, that was refreshing, right? She just needs a little sip. Or if it's like a piece of cake or something, right? I'm like, give me half that piece in one bite, right? I want to enjoy that whole thing and, and gobble it all down. She's like, you know, just this little, t- like crumbs, you know? And she's like, oh yeah, I can totally taste that. I'm like, no, you can't. Come on. Like what? Well, today, Lindsay wins because uh, we're just doing a tiny, a tiny sip, a tiny little bite of Psalm 119. But before we do, before we get into that tiny little bite, that tiny little sip, it'll be helpful to get ourselves oriented with Psalm 119. We don't actually need to read the whole psalm uh, to understand the main focus. I think we're going to see that pretty clearly and get a pretty good idea from these first three stanzas, just verses 1 to 24. Uh, Psalm 119, I mean, everybody kind of knows about Psalm 119, right? If I say I'm going to be preaching on Psalm 119, almost everyone's going to be like, are you preaching the whole thing? You know, like we all know it's, it's really long, right? It's really complex. Um, so yeah, we're all pretty, if we've read our Bibles much, we're, we're pretty familiar with Psalm 119. But there's a few different ways that we can categorize Psalm 119, and we've been talking about different genres of the Psalms. So the first thing we'll just look at is that it's a wisdom Psalm, okay? We looked at Psalm 37 last week, which, which was also a wisdom song, a wisdom Psalm. And the wisdom Psalms teach us how to put God's instructions into practice and again, as we read them, we're going to feel a lot of similarities to the Proverbs, right? It's going to, going to kind of tell us how to live, how we should order our lives. And this psalm, actually, Psalm 119, is a great psalm really to kind of tie together our last seven sermons because Psalm 119 contains all the elements that we've been looking at. We had two weeks looking at psalms of lament, two weeks looking at psalms of confidence, two weeks looking at Psalms of Thanksgiving, and then last week was the Wisdom Psalm. Psalm 119 contains all of those. It contains elements of lament and confidence and thanksgiving. So really, Psalm 119 is just this kind of massive, all-encompassing psalm. The second thing about Psalm 119 is that it's an acrostic psalm. I think this is the fourth, third or fourth Sunday in a row that we've had an acrostic psalm. Uh, Psalm 119, though, is kind of goes above and beyond. If, if you're familiar with it, there's 22 stanzas in Psalm 119 of eight verses each. And each stanza begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And then each individual verse in each stanza begins with the letter of that stanza, okay? So this really is a poetic masterpiece. Like this is not something the psalmist just didn't sit down like in a couple hours and write out this, you know, didn't just scratch some poem out on his, on his notepad. Um, the 
unfortunately, I, I looked at the, does anyone have the NIV or the NASB? I think, do you have, are the Hebrew letters um, there? Yeah. So I don't know why, it's, you know, I, I love the ESV. There's very few things that frustrate me about the ESV, but I was like, why doesn't the ESV have the Hebrew letters there? All these other translations do. So whatever. But if you look at each, sta- above each stanza, uh, in the NASB and the NIV, some other translations, it'll have the English transliteration, and then it'll actually have the Hebrew letter, uh, so you can kind of get a good idea of what it looks like. So as you go through the Psalms, that's, that's, what that, that's what that word is above each one of those stanzas. Okay, the third thing that we can characterize, so it's a wisdom psalm, it's an acrostic psalm, it's also a Torah psalm. Uh, there are three Torah psalms, Psalm 1, uh, which we looked at a little bit last week, Psalm 19, and then Psalm 119. So 119 and 119. It's pretty easy to remember. Um, we looked at Psalm 1 last week, and there are many similar themes between Psalm 1 and Psalm 119. Psalm 19 is really just kind of a shortened version of Psalm 119, where David is rejoicing in the wonders of God's law. So what exactly is a Torah psalm? You've probably heard that word before. Um, In English, some people say Torah. Uh, The Hebrew pronunciation is Torah. It's kind of like Augustine or Augustine, just wherever you want to put the emphasis. Uh, It's not really a huge deal, but again, Torah would be the the correct Hebrew pronunciation. And O. Palmer Robertson, in his book, The Flow of the Psalms, if you're kind of nerdy and you want to dig into like a a good, um, like a structural look at the Psalms, how they're put together and organized and like the theological implications. It's not super heady, but it's like more than just, you know, it's like 300 pages. Um, the Flow of the Psalms by O. Paul Robertson. He's also written some other great books, uh, The Christ of the Covenants, The Christ of Wisdom, uh, but great book. Here's what he says about uh, the Torah. He says, the Torah of Yahweh is the teaching, the instruction, the wisdom for life that comes from the Lord. A legalistic view of life, which is an excessive focus on every little detail and that our right standing with God comes by law-keeping, he says, a legalistic view of life is the furthest thing possible from the proper understanding of Torah. Indeed, rules for life are involved, but Torah is much more. It speaks of a wholesome approach to life that comes from a full apprehension of the will of God for the well-being of well-being of human beings made in God's image. So in our first stanza, uh, we'll unpack some Torah connections a little bit more. So we're just going to be reading verses 1 through 24 uh, this morning, the first three stanzas. So that is 320 seconds or 24,176, which is 13.6%. Okay, I told you guys math was important. All right, so... Pay attention to that, but all joking aside, Psalm 119, verses 1 through 24. Please pay attention to the reading of God's word. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame 
having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. This is the word of the Lord. This first stanza, it's the Aleph stanza, first letter in the Hebrew alphabet, opens with an introduction in the first three verses that is really helpful for us in understanding Psalm 119 as a Torah psalm, as I mentioned earlier. It's also interesting that outside of these three verses, there is only one other verse in the entire Psalm 119 that is not directed directly at tor- or towards God. And that's verse 115. It says, Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of God. So verses 1 and 3 are kind of generally speaking, which we'll see here. And then verse 115 is this directed, don't ask me why, but just, and it's not even like the middle verse. It's just directed at evildoers. Depart from me, you evildoers. But every other verse in Psalm 119 is a prayer directed directly towards the Lord. These first three verses here, I think they're a great introduction because they tie us back to Psalm 1, which begins with, blessed is the man, right? And then it gives that whole list of all the things that the one who walks in the ways of the Lord doesn't do. But then it says, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We'll see that language of meditating and delighting in the next two stanzas. But here, the blessed ones are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. So let's just look at that first verse. Let's unpack that. And we're going to actually start from the end and go to the beginning, looking at four things. The first thing is the law of the Lord. Those who walk in the law of the Lord. And the word here for law is the word Torah. And this can mean law or revelation. It can refer to one specific command that the Lord gives, or it can refer to the whole of Scripture, specifically the first five books of the Bible, which we call the Pentateuch. And as we'll see, this word here, Torah, it's kind of a catch-all word. Okay, so law of the Lord, 
work our way backwards, walk, right? Those who walk in the law of the Lord. We are called to walk in the way of the Lord and not in the ways of the wicked. So our obedience should be a normal part of following the Lord. The third thing is blameless or perfect. This word is used throughout the Old Testament to talk about animals that were brought for sacrifice. You read through, especially in Leviticus, talks about a lamb without spot or blemish. That's the same word that's used here for blameless. So it's, it's a word that's speaking about perfection, something that is acceptable to be offered to God because it is blameless and perfect. Then lastly, the, the very first word, blessed. We talked about this in, in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. This word means happy. Happy are those who walk in God's ways. Happy are those who take refuge in him. And remember, that's that inclusio that Psalm 1 starts with, blessed is the man, and ends with, blessed are those who take refuge in him. So Psalm 1 and 2 are the introduction to the entire collection of Psalms, and that the introductory chapters start and end with, blessed are those, right? So Psalm 119 is picking right up on that theme. You want to live a happy life? Do these things, right? You want to be blessed by the Lord? Do these things. Again, I said last week, right? You want to see the prosperity gospel, right? That's, that's it, right? It's not this nonsense that we hear. Live according to the Lord's ways, and your ways will prosper. It doesn't mean you're going to be rich and famous. It means you're going to delight in the Lord. You're going to meditate on his ways. That's prospering. Now, we might say, well, this is just written for those who were under the Old Testament law, right? The psalm, all these words that are used for law, these are, these are just written for the people of Israel. But I said earlier that this is not a legalistic emphasis here. All this mention of, of laws and commandments, it can feel that way, right? I'm just like, oh, I just have to obey and I have to do all these things. But let's go back a little bit earlier in the Old Testament. Consider an example from much earlier than this. In Genesis 17, the Lord appears to Abram when he is 99 years old. This is the passage where he changes his name from Abram to Abraham. The Lord says to Abraham, to Abram, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Same exact words that are used here in Psalm 119 verse 1. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So God's promise here to Abraham, speaking of this covenant, speaking of future generations, this is how Abraham and his descendants were to live, right? They were to walk before the Lord and to be blameless. And the the picture of, of God coming to Abraham, of God initiating his covenant, is seen when God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. He's saying, you're not going to be a new person, Abraham, because you do these things. God is saying, I'm coming to you. I'm changing you, and therefore you go and walk in my ways, right? This promise here to Abraham, this is way before the law was given to Israel at Mount Sinai. Okay, This isn't just some like, here's this written code. You like do these things, don't do these things. That's not what was going on here when God appeared to Abraham. 
So how might this example of Abraham help us to not view Psalm 119's promises of a blessed life for those who walk blamelessly in the law of the Lord as, as just some legalistic thing, right? Some legalistic promise. Like if you do all these things, if you check all the boxes, then you'll have a blessed life. It's because the call to Abraham is the same call to us to come out of walking according to the ways of this world, of living as a servant to the things of this world, and to walk with God and keep his testimonies and seek him with your whole heart and do no wrong. This first stanza is full of those action words, and the action is necessary, but it's not just being busy for the sake of being busy. It's not just to say, look what I've done. I've been, I've been checking all the boxes. I've been seeking God. I've been praying. I've been doing all these things. There are very clear things that we are to walk in and to keep and to seek and to do and to fix our eyes upon. We see all those, all those verbs and to learn. We see all of those things in the first stanza. And this is where the real beauty of Psalm 119 is found. Remember, this is a Torah psalm. And Torah is that catch-all word for law in Hebrew. But the psalmist uses seven synonyms, and we actually see six of them here in the first stanza, and one of them comes in verse 8. We just follow down through. So it starts with law in verse 1, testimonies in verse 2, ways in verse 3, precepts in verse 4, statutes in verse 5, commandments in verse 6, rules in verse 7, and then word in verse 9. Something else that's very interesting, just the structure of this psalm. Throughout the whole psalm, there's only three verses that don't use one of these words. And each word, each one of these eight words, are used between 19 and 25 times. So almost every word is used in every single stanza. Torah is used the most. It's used 25 times, so it's doubled up in a few of them. And there are four stanzas where all eight words are used, once in each verse. But if we only read this first stanza, it can feel a little overwhelming. It can feel like there's a lot to do, right? There's this whole list of all these things that we're, we're called to do. And it can feel a little externally focused, right? Just, I got to like be out here doing all this stuff. For some of us, for the, the rule followers among us, this can feel like a crushing burden. Am I living up to the standard, right? Am I doing enough? Have I put in the time? Have I worked hard enough? And does God really expect me to be blameless? Others of us might be on the opposite end of the spectrum. Don't give me all your rules, right? It might even be our approach to God. Obviously, some of us are probably in the middle somewhere, a mix of both. But, but those are kind of the extremes. And think about that when you read Psalm 119, right? How do you approach this? Are you like, oh, like this is just piling on? Or are you like, come on, like that's just way over the top, right? It's too much. I love that in the, sec- in the second stanza, the psalmist turns from that outward focus and he turns and he looks internally. And wherever any of us might be on the, the rule-keeping spectrum, this next stanza is one that we really need to meditate on. Part two is this, the second stanza and the Hebrew pronunciation unfortunately, is not Beth. Uh, that's how most of us would, would look at it. It's more like bait, 
Um, so for what it's worth, uh, Aleph Bet, which is where we get alphabet, right? Uh, in Greek, it's alpha beta. In Hebrew, it's Aleph Bet, alphabet. Uh, go read on Wikipedia about the uh, Phoenician alphabet. I was reading that the other day. Fascinating stuff, man. Amazing. Um, but the psalmist begins with this self-reflective question. And no doubt here, the answer to this question, when he says, how can a young man keep his way pure? This is asking himself, right? How can I keep my way pure? How can I be pure before God? How can I be blessed and blameless before God? The answer is found in the next half of verse 9 and then verses 10 and 11. Look at the things that are required here. By guarding it according to your word. This word here, guarding and keeping, is used over and over in the psalm. It's, it's, to, it's to protect ourselves, to keep things close to us, right? To keep God's word close to us. The next thing is by seeking God with our whole heart. Saw that back in verse 2. Here it is in verse 10. With my whole heart, I seek you. Then let me not wander from your commandments. Finally, verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now again, on the surface of this, this might feel like an extended to-do list from the first stanza. You might look at these things and be like, this is just more things that I have to do, right? But this is the internal heart work. This is the what are you doing when nobody is watching kind of work. And I think we see this rounded out well in the last three verses of this stanza, verses 14 to 16. In the way of your testimonies I delight, as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The purity of life that the psalmist is seeking and that he is desiring to communicate to all of God's people as they all seek to answer the question, how can I keep my way pure? This is not just found in external busyness. It's not wrong to do things for God. We should be busy for God, right? But it might be wrong to only be busy for God, to only be doing external things for God, and not to be doing the inner heart work of meditation and delight. Augustine, which is the correct pronunciation, by the way. I used to say it wrong. Augustine famously said in Confessions, which if you haven't read his Confessions, it's a fantastic read. It actually very closely sim- it mirrors Psalm 119. It's, the whole thing is a prayer to God. So you're just like reading Augustine's prayer journal as he's talking about his conversion and talking about his life before Christ and after. He says, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. We are living in a very restless age, aren't we? In some ways, that's nothing new. I think the world has always been restless. But the amount of distractions and the amount of things that clamor for our attention are like nothing any other generation has seen before us. 
Now magnify that by a thousand with COVID-19 and the upcoming election. I truly believe that the only solution for our distracted, restless hearts is resting in God through the long, slow, steady work of hiding his word in our hearts and meditating on it and delighting in it. And there is nothing easy about this. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes trust. And it doesn't just happen. Right? This isn't the like pour water and stir thing. You can't just roll out of bed and you're good to go. It's not like grabbing a quick bowl of cereal and a cup of coffee that was ready for you because your fancy, fancy new coffee machine that you put the timer on the night before had it ready and you just go down, it's right there, right? Ready to go. That's not how this is. It's like taking the, it's like getting up and getting all your ingredients ready, taking the time to actually make pancakes from scratch. Or it's like grinding your coffee beans out and doing it the right way with a French press, right? Which there's no argument is the best way to drink. Sorry, I'm like, I'm joking about all my arguments here and being right, but it is a great way to drink coffee. But I get the temptation to take the shortcuts, right? I love just popping something in the Keurig machine when I don't feel like doing the hard work of getting the beans out and throwing them in the grinder and heating up the water and putting the beans in and pouring them in and stirring them and waiting four minutes, right? Like, it's a lot of work, but it's rewarding work. But I get the temptation. And I love the frozen waffles in the toaster, right? Because I haven't, come on, Josh. (laughs) Gluten-free waffles, gluten-free frozen waffles, okay? They're awesome. But I love, I love that if I'm in a hurry, right? And I just, I got to get out the door. I got to be somewhere quick. Yeah, but that's not the same as taking the hard time to get all the ingredients and make it yourself, right? Well, again, this is not just some call to legalism, right? This is not just some call to, well, if I put in more time, right? If I read the Bible more, then God will just automatically love me more. It's easy, Just speaking to myself here, it's easy for me to shortcut the process with my morning food prep. How much easier is it to justify cutting short my time with the Lord? So here's the challenge that I want to give to all of us, including myself this week. This week, I want you to try to carve out some time each day and read through Psalm 119, okay? If you want to be the super extra spiritual Christian, read the whole thing each day. It's, you know, it's about, a, it's about the equivalent of a, a longer Bible reading plan. Okay, you can do it if you want. If you aren't as concerned about, you know, don't like post it on Facebook and say how awesome you are if you do that. But if you want to maybe take it a little slower, which I would recommend, um, just take three stanzas a day, okay, for the next seven days. You'll have to do four one day, okay? Remember, math is important here, people, Okay. 22 stanzas, do three a day. You can do four on the last day or four on the first day or anywhere in between. But take some time and go through Psalm 119. If you're a journaler, 
Just take some time and journal through, make some observations. Again, pay attention to these things, especially all these Torah synonyms, right? All these words that are used over and over and see how the psalmist is just from all these different angles. He's showing us the importance of being in God's word and following God's word and, and meditating on God's word. And then just from that, take one or two things each day and try throughout the day. Just try to meditate on those things throughout the day. And build up those spiritual muscles and let God's word shape and mold your life. All right. Last section. Gimel. The G. The third stanza has just two things that I want to point out here. Uh, First is in verse 18. It says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I think this really needs to be our prayer as we read all of Scripture. As you sit down to do your Bible reading, if you don't know what to pray, if you don't know how to, how to ask God to, to speak to you through his word, just repeat this, right? Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. That's it. Like, you can say more if you want. You can spend more time praying. But this is the, this is the prayer. I mean, in, in my opinion, this is the prayer to ask God to speak to you through his word. Ask him to open your eyes that you would behold wondrous things as you read the Bible. Pretty simple. Again, the, the word law here is, is Torah. So it's this, it's this all-encompassing, it's this umbrella term. So when you're asking to behold wondrous things out of his law, again, it's not just the, it's not just the narrow view of the law. It's, it's all of Scripture, right? I think this is a great prayer as well because it admits our need for outside help, that we can't, we can't see everything on our own that there is to see in God's word. And that unless God by his spirit graciously enables us to see it, we won't be able to see it. Well, the final thing that I want to draw out of this third stanza is something that is vitally important to our walks with God. And that is a clear recognition of our identity. We live in an age where there is so much confusion over identity and so much manipulation all around us with identity politics. We must both know and clearly articulate who we are as the people of God. The psalmist does that in verses 17 and 19. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. The two key words here are servant and sojourner. By saying that he is God's servant, he is at the same time saying that God is his master. The psalmist is not his own master. He belongs to the Lord and he answers to the Lord. By saying that he is a sojourner, he is admitting that he is just passing through, that he has no true and lasting home on this earth. And these are essential identity markers for the people of God. Now, if I just wrapped up the sermon here, and if I just say, go and do what the psalmist has said, what would your reaction be? On the one hand, I hope you would be encouraged to do so because it's God's word. I hope you would say that I faithfully handled the text 
and was true to the original intention of the human author. But is there anything missing in that? Was this really a Christian sermon? I accidentally slipped once and I did say Christ. I was trying not to. (laughs) But the only reference outside of the Old Testament was the quote from Augustine. And I've heard it said, uh, you may have, if you've talked to Bill Acker about preaching, Bill has said it several times, that never preach a sermon that would be received with an amen in a Jewish synagogue. Okay? Everything I said this morning could have been received and amened in a Jewish synagogue. So you're like, you guys might be like, what is he doing here? Is he like tricking us? <laughs> to that, don't preach a sermon that would be amen in a Jewish synagogue. I would say amen. But thankfully, the sermon is not over. Now some of you are saying, oh, great. <laughs> what time are we going to get out of here? But trust me, this is the best part. The title of the sermon, Blessed is the Blameless One. And if you want to see where I'm going, and I didn't do it on purpose because I wanted to wait until now, but the word THE should be in all caps. And we'll, I'll say it THE because it sounds better. Blessed is the blameless one. Not speaking generically like verse 1. Okay? Blessed are those whose way is blameless. No, blessed is the blameless one. So we need to answer the question. Who is the blameless one? The one who keeps the Torah of the Lord, who walks in his ways, who keeps his testimonies, who seeks him with his whole heart, who does no wrong, who has stored up his word perfectly in his heart, who delights in his statutes. Is it us? No. Praise God, right? I mean, seriously, if you look at this list of things, how are you doing? I mean, how am I doing, right? But what if there is a servant and a sojourner who has already done all of these things for us? I have good news for you. There is. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is the perfect servant. He was the sojourner par excellence. He came into the broken world and did not even have a place to lay his head. He was despised and rejected by men. He was tried unjustly, tortured, mocked, and crucified. But the good news of the gospel is not simply that he died for us. We need to talk about that, and we talk about that often. But it's not only that he died for us, he also lived for us. He fulfilled all of Psalm 119 perfectly. And you and I know that we never can. He is the blameless one. He presented himself to the Father on our behalf as the perfect spotless sacrifice. It is because of Jesus Christ and him alone that we can stand blameless before the Father, clothed in his perfect righteousness. Now, I don't usually do this, but I want this to be a part of your assignment for the week, okay? Jot these scriptures down. I want you to look at them in reference to Psalm 119. I'm actually going to read through them. There's a few here. I think this is 
fitting given the emphasis on God's word in Psalm 119 and our need to store up his word in our hearts. So again, jot these down, read them along with Psalm 119, see what Jesus has done for us and be encouraged that living a blameless life before God is what we are called to do as Christians, but not because we're trying to earn favor with God, but because Jesus, the blameless one, has already lived the perfect life we can't live and he has called us to follow him. So here we go. One, two, three, four, five, six passages, okay? The first one, Ephesians 1, 3 through 4. Ephesians 1, 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Philippians 2, 14 to 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, alienated, notice the Imagery of, of sojourner, right? Alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Hebrews 9, 11 to 14. Hebrews 9, 11 to 14. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctifying for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serving the living God. Finally, in our encouragement to go out from here, 1 Peter 1, 13 to 21. The heading in the ESV is called to be holy for this section. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21. Therefore, 
preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Right? There it is again. Sojourners and strangers here, right? Throughout the time of your exile. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we are so thankful that the call here to walk in your ways, to live a blameless life, is not something that we can accomplish on our own strength. We thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the blameless one, who lived the perfect life that we could not live, who kept your law perfectly down to every jot and tittle, who delighted perfectly in your law, who meditated perfectly on your law. And as we just saw in all these passages in the New Testament, we are called to live holy and blameless lives as we walk after him and follow him. God, we need your strength to do this. We need your spirit at work in our lives. As we seek to be salt and light, as we seek to live out this time of of sojourning and being exiles in this world, Father, equip us. Give us the strength. Give us the joy in the journey. Help us in our sanctification. That we might delight in your word. That we might seek you with our whole hearts. As we look to Christ, who has gone before us and done these things perfectly. We pray in his name. Amen.